Well, I'm finishing up in the book of Philippians today. I, I started sometime uh, after the first of the year. So I've really enjoyed preaching through this book of joy. And today, the last message in Philippians, they titled it, The Joy of Giving. And I know that sounds a little bit like an oxymoron, that those two words, joy and giving, would be together. They don't seem to fit, but I really believe that they do fit. And Paul will share how it does today in Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I want you to look at verse 19. If you, if you have your Bibles open or on your phone, I'm going through this, this text verse by verse, but I want to jump down to verse 19. This is a promise from God to meet all of our needs. But if you ask Christians, and perhaps you would be sitting out here today saying, well, I have lots of unmet needs. So, is God a liar or his word not valid? No. Most of the promises in the Bible are conditional. I have to meet the condition to receive them. I apply verses 14 through 18 to receive the promise in verse 19. Let, let me read another one. From 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. I want to show you what I mean here. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So the, the premise is in, found in verses 6 and 7 there, to give. The promise in verse 8, God will give abundantly to you. It's important that you grasp this, not just in this area of giving and receiving, but really in all things. Fulfill the condition and God blesses. So what's the premise of this text that we just read today in Philippians? It's verses 14 to 18. And here it is. I must be generous to others. 
Okay, that's the condition. That's the premise. Let me show you that truth in some other places in Scripture. Proverbs 11:25. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. It's really a spiritual law that you find all over the Bible. When I'm generous to others, God then is generous to me. Let me read another place. Luke 6:38. Give and what? It will be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I mean, it's common sense. The farmer plants more seeds, he'll have a bigger harvest. Fewer seeds, smaller harvest. If I don't give, then there's really no assurance that I will receive much from the Lord. Though the Bible does say the rain falls on the just and the unjust, so there's that. But God is not obligated to bless you if you don't bless others. We can block the flow of God's blessing in our lives by being stingy. Matthew thirteen fifty eight, And he, Jesus, did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Let me give you three reasons why you and I should be generous. The first, my giving is an encouragement to others. We see that in verses 14 through 16. Look at verse 14. Paul says, It was good of you to share in my troubles. That word good was interesting. It's not the word good that something is good or right. You know, a moral or ethical word. This is an aesthetic word for good. It means lovely or beautiful. So Paul is saying, It was a beautiful thing you did by giving to me and supporting my work. The word share means fellowship, partnership. It's very much a relationship word. When you gave, Paul said, when you gave to me, you were sharing in the same gospel that I was proclaiming. Those folks that were getting saved, you sharing that work together with me. You were a part of that, just like you were there with me preaching the word. And then the word troubles means hardship. That's an emotional word. Paul was in jail. He he was discouraged and hurting. But their gift from Epaphroditus lifted his spirits. It encouraged him. Verses 15 and 16. Paul reminds them of when he came to Philippi and planted their church that they gave to him. They supported his missionary travels. Not all can go, but all could give and pray. He mentions Macedonia and Thessalonica. They also supported Paul in his work. When he was in Corinth, it says in 2 Corinthians 11, I robbed other churches by receiving support from them, including the Philippians, so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way, and I will continue to do so. So the Corinthians weren't supporting his work, and therefore he had to make, make tents. But somewhere along the lines, back to the Philippians, they stopped giving. They stopped supporting his work. Then they started back up again. And he's just happy about it. Part of the reason for writing this letter was to say, Thank you, Philippian church, for once again remembering me in my work. He's not scolding them here for stopping. 
Look at verse 15. He uses the phrase giving and receiving. If you go to your bank and you open an account, you, you can put money in and take money out. We, so, I think it's similar with the things of the Lord. When we give to the Lord's work, it's like you're making a deposit in heaven. And God keeps track. In Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 16, Paul says, you sent aid again and again, not just one time. They were steady and consistent in their giving. And that encouraged Paul. And when you give to Hanover Friends Church, that gift, I believe, is registered in heaven. And God will bless you. And we, too, are also encouraged by that. Galatians 6, 9 and 10 tells us, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So the first reason for being generous is simply it encourages the one who receives that help. A second reason here is my giving is an investment in the future. My giving is an investment in the future. We see that in verse 17. Paul makes sure that they know he's not out for their money. He's not greedy. He knows that their giving is for their good. He says it will be credited to your account. You know, that heavenly bank account that you have. And that term credited to your account literally means accrue interest. God pays interest. I remember investments in the 80s, especially the 90s, especially, yeah, the 90s were really good. Your your savings account made a good, healthy interest. Now, your checking account and saving account, it's almost nothing. Mark 10, 29 and 30. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and with them persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. One hundredfold equals 10,000% interest. Every financial gift that you give to the Lord and His work is written down in heaven. And He pays interest. He says, I'll reward you. Let me read three places that show us that. Matthew 6, 4. So that your giving may be in secret, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Matthew 10. Anyone who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man, because he is a righteous man, will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, 
he will certainly not lose his reward. In 1 Timothy, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So I think this goes beyond just finances to our deeds and our time and our talents and our prayers. And God will reward you, not just financially, but in a host of ways as you are generous to others. The third reason for generosity, my giving is like a sacrifice. My giving is like a sacrifice. Look at verse 18. It's spiritual. You guys remember Abel. It says this in Hebrews 11:4. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. Abel's gift really pleased God, and God spoke well of him for his giving. His sacrifice was better than Cain's. Cain gave his his produce, but Abel gave his livestock. And when you sacrifice an animal to the Lord, when you give that animal, you have one less animal to do work and to produce meat or or, um, milk or whatever the case may be. So his sacrificial gift was very pleasing to God. I, I think in the New Testament account, where Jesus spoke of the widow and her gift in Mark 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. They gave into a a copper cylinder and you gave coins. So if you were pouring in a big bag of coins, it would make a lot of noise, right? But Jesus heard just the two Little copper coins going in, just a little ding. And he realized she put in those two mites. And it was more than they all gave. So it's not so much the amount as it is the attitude of the heart. Now I want to say something. I'm not talking about tithing here. I tithe and I believe in tithing as a principle in the Bible. But I don't think the New Testament limits it to just tithing. I actually think the New Testament principle is even above that of generosity and sacrificial giving. And I think that's what Paul is saying here in in this able example of sacrificial giving. Giving is also an act of worship, not just singing and praying and preaching. That's why we incorporate it as a part of our worship service. And worship is a verb. It's an action word. Every gift you give pleases God. So I encourage you to be generous in your giving. Stinginess doesn't please God. So we've covered the premise, the condition, our part. We give generously. So what's the promise? Philippians 4.19 And my God will meet 
all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Well, this is a well-known verse. I told you last week, I think it was last week I shared this, that, uh, that this was a verse that was given to me as a promise and that I could take it to heart. I also called it the believer's life insurance policy. It covers all your needs. If you have an insurance policy, there's no need to worry if it's covered in the policy, and most things are. Yet there are still folks that don't give and still worry. The mindset is, if I give, I'll have less. I'll be broke. But this is a promise of God. He's saying, I will take care of you. Trust me. Watch what I do. I will meet all your needs. In fact, that's the scope. What's the scope of this promise? All your needs will be met. And all means all. And it doesn't say he might meet your needs. He will meet your needs. He guarantees it. God is rich and powerful. Nothing is too hard for him. As I constantly give to his work, he provides for all my needs. And it says needs, not wants. A survey was given to people in 1890 asking, what do you need to survive? And and calculating the the survey results, they found it was about 16 things that people felt they needed to survive. The same survey was given in 1990, and it now was 98 things that people felt they needed to survive. 82 more things from 1890 to 1990. God hasn't promised to meet every selfish desire, but all of our needs. James 4, 3 says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. What's the source of the promise? God. Not my employer. God, my personal God. Paul says they're my God. I know him. I have a relationship with him. He has always met my needs and he always will. God is aware of all your needs. Financial, emotional, physical, spiritual needs. He cares for you. He loves you. He assumes responsibility for you like like a good father does for his children. He picks up the tab. How does God meet my needs? Chiefly through people. Like it says in verse 14, the Philippians met Paul's need. You give to this church, give to the work of the Lord. You support our staff and denominational leaders and missionaries and those in our ministries that we're reaching out to serve and help and our bills. You give to us and you bless us and God blesses you through your employer and through other people. But they're not your source. God is. What's the supply? According to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Spiritual blessings are implied here. Unbelievers do get blessings too. You know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But they are outside of the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Let me say something about according to. And use this analogy. We all know that Bill Gates and people like him are rich. If he wrote you a check for $1,000, that would be like nothing for him. It would be out of his riches. But if he handed you a blank check, that would be according to his riches. 
God is rich. He won't go bankrupt. He has unlimited resources. I think of Philippians 4.19 is God's blank check. Jesus signed it by his death on the cross, and it will never bounce. So let me again encourage you to be a giver. God will bless you in so many ways. Ephesians 3.20 tells us, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. When you see a need or hear of a need or a hurt, meet that need. Reach out and help and give to that person who wins everyone because you can't outgive God. Giving produces joy. Misers are miser able, miserable. Misers are miserable. It's the attitude of the heart that God sees. And I can only imagine that perhaps there's someone out here today who hasn't learned the joy of giving yet. You're still a little fearful with your money and your time and your talents. You hold on to it because you're afraid it'll run out. Listen to Acts 20.35. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I like this quote from C.S. Lewis. I do not believe one can settle on how much he ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. So Paul is so excited after writing verse 19 that he bursts into doxology in verse 20. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. He's such a great provider. He meets all of our needs. He deserves to be praised as the source of every good thing. Then he closes his letter with a few greetings. And it was interesting that he mentioned Caesar's household. Now, I don't think that means Caesar's immediate family members. We have no historical evidence that any of them were believers. But we do have good evidence that there were staff and soldiers in his household that became Christians, which really is quite amazing if you think about it. Within 30 years, by 60 A.D., at the highest levels of world power, there were Christians there. The letter begins and ends with grace. God's grace. He gives us much more than we deserve. And God has certainly been gracious to you. And he says, extend that grace of mine to others. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this book of Philippians and this passage here. on Paul thanking the Philippians for their gifts to him, which encouraged him and supported him. Lord, we thank you for all the resources that you have graciously given to us. And as stewards of those resources, we will give account. So, Lord, let us pray and use your resources that you've given to each of us wisely that we might bless and help others, and especially the gospel, that that gospel message could go out to all the world and everyone here that good news. Lord, let us be wise and discerning of how we use our time and our treasure and our talents each and every day. 
looking for opportunities to be a blessing, knowing, Father, that you bless us so much more and in so many ways. Lord, we are eternally grateful to you and especially for our salvation. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.